Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. The Bible talks about how we build upon our faith. You realize what you're doing today, you'll build on your faith tomorrow. So how important it is that we consider what kind of foundation we lay because of what we will be building on tomorrow. Well, verse 43, it says, After the two days he departed from there and went to the Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, this is a a tragedy, but it's true. And this is why many times it's hard for many of you to share with your parents. You know, you go to your parents that maybe aren't born again, and you say, Mom, Dad, Dad, Mom, you know, you're on your way to hell. And they go, shut up, you little... I changed your diapers when you were a baby. You know, and, and... But, Mom, you don't understand. Well, they don't understand the message you bring is not your own. It's a message from God. And so this is where the problem ultimately sets in. And so understanding that oftentimes, and this is something you have to realize, and it's hard, that you're not honored in your own place. There's a lot of reasons why that is. I think for Jesus, I think they just took him as common. They watched him grow up. Yeah, he he does some miracles with loaves and breads and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, nothing to get too much on about. And and, and so they, they actually allow themselves to be robbed because of their own prejudice against someone that they knew. Well, of course, Jesus here said that prophets not honor in his own country. That's why each other is needed. If you don't know how to tell your parents about Jesus... Get a fellow brother or sister in the Lord to do it. If they won't receive your word, then find somebody else that they will listen to. It's not an excuse. And by the way, one of the things you gather in here, and it's also a great business principle, there's really no excuse for failure. That's one of the things that we have to always look at, no matter what we do. We've been going through, uh, since we started the book of John, Not only the spiritual application of what Jesus said, the actual application, but it applies in every aspect of our life. And so whether you call um, uh, Peter the rock because Jesus saw him for what he would be, that's a business principle as well. When you see something for what it can be for rather than what it is, that's how you make a living. That's how a contractor goes and looks at an empty lot on a corner and sees a mall and gas stations and Dunkin' Donuts and all those kinds of things all in there because they have an eye for it. They can see into the future. And I do believe that God will do that in our lives as well when we see people that we invest our time with that, hey, maybe they didn't accept Christ today, but I'll keep loving them, I'll keep speaking to them, I'll keep encouraging them until that point where the gospel makes sense. Now, it may or may not be your words that do that, but nevertheless, as Jesus is saying here, the seed was sown, some sow, some reap. 
And as Paul says, again in 1 Corinthians 3, it is God that brings the increase. Well, looking at this. For Jesus Himself testified, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Don't forget that. Don't feel that you're being slighted or your message is not good. It's just the familiarity. They've seen your failures. They've seen your successes. And they just think, oh, you're just one. It's it's kind of a, a misplaced reverence. And it's unfortunate, but it does happen. And so you just have to look past that. Jesus told you it was going to happen. Don't get bummed out about it. So when he came to the Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that He did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. What did Jesus do at Jerusalem? Well, He cleared the temple. And that was one of the things. Because I think there was a lot of people who were kind of fed up with the religious system. The buying and selling. And when Jesus... Uh, cleared the temple. He said, my house should be called a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And he overturned the table of the money changers. Why did he do that? Well, first of all, there were people coming from all over the world that wanted to tithe or give honor to God financially, but the temple would only accept the Jewish shekel. So if you came with your Roman denarii, eh, we don't take that. So then they would direct you to a money changer. You'd go down to the money changer, which the Sanhedrin owned the money changers. It was a racket. And so you say, well, here's here's a a, a dollar. Uh, I'd like to convert it to the shekel. And they go, eh, we'll do that for you for a percentage. And so here people were just wanting to give to God. And there was people skimming, trying to take money and make a make a, a scam on the side of it. We remember Jesus chased them out. Then also there was the inspected animals for your sins. And so, you know, this one checks out, kosher. This one checks out, kosher. You know, and they had a whole bunch of them. You'd bring your animal in. Oh no, look, there must be a little spot here or something. We cannot accept this. So you'd have to go down, use your converted shekel, or maybe I should say your converted denarii to buy what you needed, and then they would accept it. Well, this is what was going on. Jesus cleared the temple, and a lot of people kind of like that. They kind of like going against the grain. You know, there's a... Within us, I don't know if you ever noticed this, there's a built-in rebellion. We're just that way. Don't think there's something necessarily wrong with you. It's just that once we become a Christian, we want to rebel against the wrong things. Before we're a Christian, we tend to rebel against the right things. And I've seen this in my own life. The sign will say, push, I'll pull. Wet paint, don't touch. i got to touch it. Uh, speed limit, 55. You can go 56, they won't give you a ticket. And so on. We're rebellious by nature. God wants us to rebel against that which is wrong, not that which is good. And so, I think the people recognized the need because I think they realized that it was kind of a sham going on, a scam, if you will. This is why John the Baptist's ministry was popular. John the Baptist's ministry was popular because John the Baptist was going to the Jewish nation, including the religious leaders. In fact, if you go back, it says that they got into a discussion, an argument, 
the religious leaders of the day with John's disciples concerning purification because John the Baptist's message was to the Jewish nation, not to the Gentiles, but to the Jewish nation. You guys need to take a ceremonial washing. Well, I think a lot of people didn't, didn't like the system. And so it says that they received him, having seen the things that he did in Jerusalem. Well, verse 46. It said, Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water to wine, and there was a certain nobleman who's sick, who was sick, uh, his son was sick at Capernaum. Now, now again, this is the, the second uh, miracle that Jesus did. Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting that it does not really, so to speak, speak of the, the, uh, what happened in Jerusalem is a miracle. Jesus just cleansed the temple. Verse 46. So Jesus came to Cana of Galilee. Now, um, when he heard Jesus had come out of Judea uh, into the Galilee, this nobleman went out and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Literally, he was begging him. And by the way, sick and deafness has no favorites. It just doesn't. You know, uh, sometimes we, we look at that and realize that um, you can be a good person, you can be a bad person, you can get sick, die the same way. So it has no, no, um, no favorites. Jesus goes to Cana, Galilee. And I think God knowing that this nobleman was going to be there about 15 miles away, Jesus shows up. And so he implores him to heal his son. Jesus said to him, Unless the people see signs and wonders, you will no means believe. Now, what you find here is Jesus rebukes them for their preconceived ideas. Have you ever prayed and had a preconceived idea how God was going to answer your prayer? You know, God, I need you to do this, and I need you to do that, and, and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to walk down the street, and I'm going to find an envelope laying on the sidewalk filled with money, and it's going to solve all my problems. Thank you, Jesus. And so what happens? God doesn't do it that way. Well, we want to be careful of that. Jesus is saying that even if, unless they see miracles, they won't believe. And even if they saw miracles, they didn't believe. We remember... People say in the Old Testament, and I've heard this a lot, this was a question that come up on every man answer quite often. How can a God of love harden Pharaoh's heart and then punish him? Because the Bible said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Seems like a pretty legitimate question, literally. But what did God ever do to Pharaoh? God showed Pharaoh through signs and wonders that he was not God. You see, the people believed in those days that their Pharaoh was God. That's why they put him in pyramids and sphinxes and all these other things. In some way, that would, would uh, captivate and, and preserve their, their godhood through the eternity of ages. Well, we realize that he wasn't. The more miracles that God did at the hand of Moses and Aaron, the harder Pharaoh's heart got. So, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes, in only the fact that God provided the miracle. How Pharaoh reacted to the miracle is where he hardened his heart. So, God hardened his heart in that God gave Pharaoh miracles. 
Which counteracts the idea there's two things in this world. One, there is a God. Two, you're not Him. And Pharaoh didn't like that. So the more miracles, the harder his heart got. Well, it's interesting. We come to the New Testament. The more miracles that Jesus did, the harder the Pharisees' hearts got as well. So miracles don't in itself make somebody a believer. We have to be careful of that. In fact, the Bible tells us in the last days, during the reign and the upcome of the Antichrist, he will do lying signs and wonders and people will wander after him. So signs and miracles are not necessarily that which will make a believer or authenticating the, uh, that God is behind them. But he said, unless people see signs and wonders, you'll know my belief. Why? Because by nature, we all humans are idolaters. We want to see something we can worship. That's why God would not let the children of Israel have any graven images. Because we know we worship God in spirit and truth, not that we can put God in a locale, cast Him out of a piece of plastic, or a chunk of gold, or a piece of silver, and stick Him in the corner of a room and go, there's God! And as we go out the door on our way down to the store to buy our post toasties, as we go out the door, we go, see ya! This is one of the problems sometimes that even in churches you get into. When I was growing up, I, by the way, I've shared this before. Some of you grew up in bars. I grew up in the church. My stories are as weird as yours. But I remember going into church and I heard a minister saying, Oh God, as we come into your presence this day. Oh really? Where have you been hiding all week that you've been out of God's presence and show up and because we're in a building, now God is in this room. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says where two agree or touch any one thing or where two come together and pray, there I am in the midst. So we realize that we can't put God in a particular locale. We can't make Him a statue, stick Him in a corner and say, okay, there's God. All right, see you, God. It's like the little kid that wanted to really, he had his heart set on a Christmas present. Wants so bad, he didn't know what to do. Kept asking his mom and dad. His mom and dad didn't seem to express much interest. Little kids walking by church at Christmas and looks and saw the manger scene. Reaches out, grabs Mary, takes him home, takes her home, puts her under his pillow. Says, God, if you ever want to see your mom again, you'll give me what I want for Christmas. <laughs> well, the point is, the point is... <laughs> The problem with idolatry is it, it, it limits God to one locale or it takes something as majestic as God is and puts Him in the concept of a man or whatever. Well, I think God looks like this. Big ears. Yeah, that's a real God there. Yeah, let's see. And a tongue hanging way down. Pretty soon you got yourself a totem pole. You see, because I, I, I'm, I'm creating what I think God looks like. That's why God prohibited it. Because we can't put God in our mindset and say this is God when we look and see all of creation what He's made. Someday, yes, the Bible says face to face we'll see Him. But until that time comes, until that time comes, we worship Him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus goes on. Verse 49, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
He said, literally, come right now. Because he knew that he was going to die. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. Now, this is weird. Because he had a concept of how God was going to heal his son. You come down right now and heal my son. And Jesus said, go your way, your son lives. Now it goes back into the hands of the nobleman. So what did the nobleman do? No, you come now. No, he didn't do that. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And now as he was going down, his servants came and met him and told him the good news, literally saying, your son lives. And he inquired of them the hour that he had gotten better. And they said to him, yesterday, about the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. He believed his word, it changed his life. And that's really something that we find. Now, one of the things that we got, find as we go back here, there was no sign or wonder that this man, father of, the, of this son, would have believed him. And at that moment, there was a crack of lightning and thunder roared. No, it doesn't say that. Jesus said, go your way, your son lives. He took him at his word. His whole family ends up getting saved through this because what he said came true. Verse 54 this again is the second sign that Jesus did when He'd come out of Judah into Galilee. So as we look at this, we realize that God establishes who He is by what He does. Now, we take God at His Word. Oh, if we only had His Word today to get something done. Well, that's what the Bible is. That's why the Bible talks about His promises for us. His promises are for you and for me. So, what does God want? God just simply wants me to surrender my will to Him. Okay, God, not my will, yours be done. God opens and closes the doors of the events of our life to bring about His business. Something bad happens. Oh, man, bad luck! No, not at all. Christians don't have luck. What we have is divine appointments. And we find that because of the divine appointments, this opens the doors for us to respond with the power of God in the situation to bring life to others. Through this son being sick, his whole family got saved. If his son had never gotten sick, the family would have never received Christ. So what looks to be bad in our lives is not if we can grasp that, if we can take that away from here, you've learned a tremendous lesson in God's Word. There is no bad luck for Christians. It's that God is doing something bigger than my understanding. I want to be careful not to limit God to my understanding. Saying, well, God, you know, if you're really going to answer this prayer, you're going to do it my way. Or if you really love me, God, this would have never happened. Well, where was your God when that happened? Where He's always been. 
He opens doors and closes them to get His will done. There's no such thing as bad luck if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. Knowing this, all things work together for the good that know and love God, which are called according to His purpose. So, you can't lose. You're in a position as a Christian, you can't lose. But you don't understand what's going on in my life. God does. God does. And He's the one that arranges our lives to be the most impact we can in this world that we live. Next week, chapter 5. After this, it's kind of nice. You actually have a play-by-play action of what was going on. There was the Feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We'll talk about that next week. You're not a Christian here this morning, and you're thinking about, you know, I, I, I'm the one that kind of directs all my own stuff, and it ain't working. The Bible says that if we'll ask Him to forgive us, He will. You know, I think it's interesting. If you look at the sinner's prayers in the Bible, they're pretty amazing, actually. We're used to, you know, Father, forgive me of my sins, come into my life. And that's good. We should. And that's based upon actually an outline that we find when people come to Christ. But if you look at some of them, such as the thief on the cross, after he told the other thief, hey, we deserve to be up here. We're, we're, we deserve what we're getting, but this man has done nothing. He, conf- the, he confessed his own sins. He confessed the righteousness of Christ. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was the sinner's prayer for the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I think it's amazing. In fact, you go all the way through the Bible, you will see these little verses that speak of a person's transition from the way they were to what they became. God wants to do that for you this morning. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, let's pray right now. And you can ask God to come into your heart. If you're tired of the way you've lived, if you're tired of outguessing God, if you're saying, well, God, you know, if you really love me, you would have done this, this, this. God's saying, look, these things happen just as the rich man, just as this nobleman's son got sick so the whole family could be saved. God's got a plan. If you want to be part of God's plan, let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you into my life today. I recognize I'm a sinner. I played it my way. And I'm sorry. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I ask you to make me the best I can be for you. That you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. The sins of my past will not haunt me anymore. And Lord, every day is new with you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And so, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Allow me to be free in you. And fill me with your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store. 
or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.